Now it was serious. A double dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you? And finally, the coup de grace of all dares, the sinister triple dog dare. I triple dog dare you! It's me again. I hope you are not sick of hearing my voice and seeing my face. And if you are, well, that's your choice. But thanks for joining us again to the Growing Up Punk podcast, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. We are so glad you decided to join us today. We've got another awesome episode for you. Before we get to that, we would love to share with you how you can Um, connect with us more and you can do that on our website at growingpunkpod.com there you will find links to our social media our youtube you can read album reviews check out our blog see what we're watching and listening to and just become more a part of this community and so we thank so thank you so much for for taking the time to uh to listen or to watch or to leave a comment all that stuff We, we really do appreciate it so today's episode is one that has been a long time coming. I think it was um, about a year ago that I first started talking to the guys in Hangnail, and and uh, it, it just took a long time to come together. Uh, they wanted to, um, you know, kind of have the whole band a part of it, and so there was just more schedules to work around, and and just things with COVID, and just trying to work all that stuff out. So anyways, it's here. It's exciting. It's awesome. It was such a blast to talk to the guys. They were super rad. And uh, yeah, it was just great to to hang out with them, and see them, and and talk about their band, and and uh, experiences they had, and also what they've been up to. Um, if you l- listen to the end of the podcast, or to the end of this video, you're going to hear slash see a really cool surprise. And maybe you've already heard about it online or seen something about it. Um, but they have new music out. And uh, and it's awesome. It's it's super cool. And I'm really excited about it. And so we get into all of that and, uh, and lots more. So I really hope you enjoy um, my talk with the guys in Hangman. said this lots as i've been doing this show and doing interviews it's like my teenage fantasy coming to life and uh it, it's awesome you know it's such a such a weird thing you know time goes by and and we all grow up and and just you know things change with you know social media and technology and you know it's not that it's not that big of a deal to just you know hang out with you guys whereas as a teenager you know it would have seemed more impossible um, you know, I'm just, I don't know if you guys even ever came up 
Um, like I'm in uh, Saskatchewan, Canada. I'm not sure if you guys ever came up this way or not. No, um, never to Canada. We never played Canada, and I have no idea why we didn't. Um, I, th- I feel like there was like a few opportunities, and it just didn't happen. But I don't remember why. But yeah, I think on one tour we were supposed to go up to Vancouver or something, and it got there was something about going across the border, and yeah. it, it didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Vancouver is like 30 hours from me, so. Yeah, I'm kind of kind of in the middle of the middle-ish of the country. Like it's still considered Western Canada, but that's still a ways. But yeah, well, this is uh, this is maybe even even better than that. I mean, I would have would have actually. Did you guys play Cornerstone 2002? Yep, I think okay. so. Okay, yeah, then I would then I would have seen you there. I mean, so that yeah, that was the year I graduated high school and went to Cornerstone, and and it was amazing. Saw so many bands, I, I can't even remember who. Who I all saw, but if you guys were there, then, then I definitely would have seen you. So, I think mm-hmm. we played yeah. twice. Yeah, okay. I think that is the year we played twice. Yeah, right on. Yeah, well, thanks guys for taking the time to do this, and this has been—it's uh, probably almost been like a year in the making from when I first uh, sent you guys a message and just yeah. you know schedules, and you know I'm assuming some of you guys have families, and I do too, and sometimes, and I mean even just with COVID stuff, it's. Things are just kind of all over the place. So, anyways, glad you guys uh, were able to make it and take the time. And um, yeah, looking forward to to getting to chat with you guys and and hear a bit more of your story. Because so one of my yeah, favorite man. things about about doing this is you know lots of podcasts, at least that I listen to, you know they're kind of talking to you know a lot of like you know the big name punk bands and and uh, one thing I love about this. So I'm not saying this as like a slight or anything, but you know there's a lot of bands you know um like you guys that you know just don't ever hear about for whatever reason and i know there's been lots of times since you guys were an active band and whatever and but i don't know i just i feel like there's still there's still stories to be shared and there's i mean i still hear from lots of people it's like man like i love that band and in high school or whatever that was so cool that you got to talk with them and and uh, there's even some guys like uh, i'm not sure if you guys ever played or knew the guys from the band off the record at all that was on tooth and nail mm. No, we didn't play with them. We didn't know those guys, but definitely knew of their music. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so their guitar player, Ryan, like I had him on about a year ago, and we've been you know, talking back and forth and even like writing some music and stuff together now. And so it's just, yeah, a really cool opportunity to, to, to connect. So, but uh, yeah, sweet. Well, let's get right into it. I wanted to start by um, just kind of asking you guys, what what are your favorite or most um, like influential albums from the Tooth and Nail catalog. So either bands that were around uh, when you guys were playing, or before, or since. Um, even if you just want to even touch on like an album or two, it doesn't have to be anything super in depth. But I always just love hearing, you know, kind of what bands influenced the bands that I love. Well, I would say probably my big influence would be Life in General, MXPX. You know, that kind of introduced me to the I Got You, Nick. <laughs> Uh, that introduced me to the whole punk rock out, you know, the whole genre, and it was just a great introduction, and it just kind of set it off from there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I just to, to follow up that he took he stole mine. Thanks a lot, Jacob. Life in general was was huge for me, um, but even I mean even even uh, teenage politics before that was was pretty that kind of got me into the whole punk rock thing, thing. And then the life in general hit and life in general was like, it was just like, oof. like I was just kind of, you know, it was like just one of those 
life-changing records, you know? So that, that was a big one. And then down the road, just if I could add one more, yeah, a big one, a big one for me was uh, the, the Juliana theory. Uh, em- emotion is dead. And that was probably, I know they're 2000 or so. I think that came out somewhere in there. Yeah. That, that was, that was a favorite for, that was spun a lot. <laughs> yeah. We listened to that one a lot in the van. Yeah. I think MXPX is the obvious one. We got to dig a little deeper here, but I think right. we need to also talk about Nick's old car that he had. He had a, a white neon with a big old Poconacha punk uh, logo mm-hmm. on the back, which right. oh, yeah. window. I remember rolling up. I think MXPX was playing at the rave and Nick rolled up in the car. It was <laughs> actually. <laughs> oh, I love it. But for me, uh, I was actually a fan of the tooth and nail stuff from the beginning uh, with wish for Eden bands like overcome the blamed Blenderhead, stuff like that. And uh, so a lot of that stuff, and you know, you were kind of talking Aaron about how, you know, back in the day you used to be kind of nervous, you know, talking to a band or whatever like that for us, it was kind of interesting because when we got signed to the record label, we started touring with some of these bands that we were listening to. And that was a really cool thing for us, you know, guys that we looked up to and now we got to play shows with these people. Yeah. I was going to say Goaty hook, the first the sumo surprise album for sure. Uh, there was a lot of driving in Nick's minivan, uh, listening to that, that album and value pack as yes. much as back to value pack now. And I'm like, I don't, you know, not sure why I liked it so much back then, but it was, it remember, was super I influential. I mean, it, it was, um, so I think those two, those two got spun a lot in Nick's van. I think around. I was a couple, at Mike. A couple more for me would be Slick, Slick Shoes Rusty and Stave Sakers. Um, Speak Easy. Yeah, yeah, so many good ones. Yeah, Rusty and Life in general. I mean, were huge for me. Um, mm-hmm. What's funny about a lot of these bands is, you know, as as me and my co-host and other guys have been talking about these, you know, th- there's so much nostalgia in it. And I've heard a few comments like, you know what, those albums really aren't that good. I think it's, you know, just in your mind, right. you know, I think of Goaty Hook Sumo Surprise and, you know, I go back and listen now and there's so much memory with it. I'm like, this is awesome. It's like, oh, well, this is pretty cringy at times and it's not great, like quality, you know, like, I don't know how it stands up to some other bands from that era, but I don't know. There's, there's just so much attached with it that in my mind, it's still amazing. So I got to say one more, the Craig's brother homecoming album, that one has stood the test of time. Now oh, maybe the production quality wasn't the best, but those songs are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. still one of my all time favorite albums. And I, I recently got to talk with, with Adam from that band. And, and so that'll be an episode coming out too. And we talked a lot about that album and, yeah, yeah, so much, so much cool stuff, and uh, I mean, we'll we'll kind of get to this as we go on. But that's it's just awesome that you guys got to be a part of that, and you know, I know for myself and many, you know, when I think of that era and all those albums, like Hangnail is is definitely in there, and so it's just cool to, you know, for you guys to, to kind of be a part of that. So, um, what I should have done to start was to get you guys to just say your name and maybe what you played in the band, just so people kind of have um, an idea of of who we're talking with. So, if, if you guys want to do that, that'd be awesome. Sure. I'll start. Uh, my name is Mike Middleton, and I am the lead singer and the bass player in the band. Uh, Nick Radovanovic, guitar player. Matt Went, guitar player. Jacob Dosmegan, drummer. Yeah, right on. 
Um, yeah, so if one of you guys, like, let's, let's kind of get into, you know, the formation of the band. How did things start? Like, I don't know if just one of you guys wants to take that away, but um, kind of how, how did the band come together? What was going on in your lives at that point? Um, kind of love to hear kind of how things first came together. You want the long version or the short version? <laughs> <laughs> Depends which one's more interesting. Here, well, let me, let me just, I'll quickly, I'll quickly start with just me and Jacob. Uh, me and Jacob lived across the street from each other when we were real young, um, up until we were probably 12 or something like that. So me and Jacob, actually, I started playing guitar when I was eight. And Jacob started playing, I think, the same, t- same time, pretty much, right? Um, I would assume. And I would, uh, we just would have, I would go to his house. I'd walk to his house with my little, with my wagon and my little PV amp. And we'd like, we'd, we'd jam at his house when we were, like, we were probably nine, 10, right? I mean, somewhere in there. Nine or ten. And so me and Jacob have been, we've been, yeah. So we just kind of started, you know, it wasn't hanging out. It was just like we were just jamming. We were so young, you know. And then we got into middle school and then we met Mike. And then then it just sucked from there. No, then Mike can take it. <laughs> Mike, you can, you can, yeah. Then we met Mike. So go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So, uh, well, we all met in like symphonic band in middle school. Matt was also in yeah. at Bowen yeah. School. And, uh, I met Nick and Jacob. We had played in jazz band as well together and there was a talent show. And uh, so we wanted to put something together. Um, and that's where the stupidest name of any band ever came up, which was Hangnail, um, which we decided in eighth grade. And I don't know why we never changed it. One of my biggest regrets. Um, but we, we played in a talent show. We played uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Right? What yeah. else did we play? Yeah. I forgot. Uh, we we were big into to Nirvana, yeah. Green Day, Weezer, back then those bands. So the three of us did that, and then we just started writing some of our own music. Uh, a lot of that would have been very cringy if anybody heard that now, but you got to start somewhere, right? Um, and then eventually, uh, Matt was a good friend of ours, and early on in high school, he joined the band. We just needed another guitar player to kind of play more of the parts that we needed. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and so how did things kind of progress from there? I mean, you guys are still pretty young and, and just jamming. Was it just kind of, you know, you do that high school talent show and then you just kind of keep going or how kind of what, how does that go from until you actually start playing like some real shows and mm-hmm. like kind of how much time is in there and what's going on there? Yeah. I mean, I think some of it got a little bit started. We met some, met some different people and Mike, you'll have to refresh my memory exactly how we got down to jam and Java, but that was kind of a big thing for us. So we were in high school and, and there wasn't a lot of places other than churches for like Christian bands to play. So there was this place down uh, just South of the border in Illinois from where we lived in Antioch or Lindenhurst. Um, and it was in a strip mall and it was this kind of Christian coffee house and they started having bands all the time. And we, I don't want to say we were regulars there, but we played there, you know, quite a few times and, and sort of kind of got a, I don't want to say a following, but people in the area kind of knew us after a while. So, um, how we exactly that all happened, I I can't quite remember, but I I know that was kind of a, a big deal for us. So, right. Yeah. Well, we started out playing birthday parties and really small things and stuff. Uh, house. <laughs> uh, and actually one thing which I think helped a little bit in some ways, Lisa's gave us some money. We won the Kenosha County fair battle, of the bands contest that one year. Nice. Remember we, all these, these young little high school, like kids and all these adult bands were like all upset that we won <laughs> mm-hmm. that gave us some money so we could start putting that into equipment, uh, 
And I think we bought some, recorded and purchased some CDs at that time. And then we started sending those CDs places uh, to get gigs. But yeah, like Matt said, we had opportunities to play at local churches, word kind of spread and sort of regionally, we started playing more and more gigs as people heard about us. And I think, I think that during that, that, that point, like we got a, uh, you know, we would get on a, a gig with Goaty Hook at, you know, we, and we get these, we kind of get like into that, those tour, when those touring bands came through, we kind of got on some of those, like those coffee shop uh, shows and that kind of thing. So that kind of helped too. That's when we played with Chevelle once. Chevelle, yeah. Multiple times, yeah. Yeah. Before. How did, big. how did you guys know that like shows were a thing? Like, had you like gone to a bunch of shows or was, you know, what was the scene like kind of in, in the town you were from? Like, how did you know, you know, you played a talent contest, that's kind of one thing. How do you know that like playing shows is a thing at that point? <laughs> yeah, I would say that actually the scene was was pretty good in Kenosha at that time. And we weren't necessarily a part of that scene for various reasons, but um, there was a lot of punk and ska bands and stuff, you know, renting yeah. out halls and playing shows and stuff like that. So that was definitely a thing. I feel like much more so probably everywhere, not just Kenosha than it is now. Um, yeah. So just different, you know, contacts we met along the way and whatnot. Yeah. Right on. And what about the songwriting? You know, you, you started by playing covers. At what point did you start realizing, okay, like, you know, we've got the, the talent or the ability to start writing our own stuff and kind of how did that creativity flow into, you know, your first kind of songs that you guys are writing? Well, one thing I would say is, and I think most bands probably experience this, you look back and you write music and, and a lot of times you think like six months ago, like, oh, that wasn't very good. You know, you're always kind of looking back and, and improving. And we put out probably two full lengths at least of music uh, before people really started hearing our music that much outside of our like school and stuff like that. And so, and Nick actually at the time who, who does a lot of mixing and, and producing bands and stuff now he was doing that stuff from his basement. And so I think we, we gradually built and developed the skills of songwriting. Like I said, if you heard some of our earlier music, I mean, granted, we were in like eighth and ninth grade. We just started writing songs right away. Uh, they were terrible. Um, but uh, they slowly got better because we put a ton of time. We practiced all the time. We recorded music a lot. And so we just kept doing it until it got better and better. And was there a conscious decision, like at, at this point, are you guys thinking, okay, like we want to pursue this, we want to, you know, be sending it out to labels, you know, were you thinking like, oh, we're going to be going to college or kind of what was all kind of going on to form, you know, from the kind of the beginnings to maybe we should actually pursue this, you know, on, on a higher level. And what did that look like? Well, we were putting together press kits. I forgot when that happened. Probably our junior and senior years of high school, and we were sending them out to record labels. You know, that was back when you had a recording and you had like a, a folder and you put it in a, an envelope and send it off to a record label kind of thing. Photo shoots and pictures and, you know, flyers of shows we played, stuff like that, to show that we had, a, you know, some sort of a following in a local area or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't say we got a whole lot of response to that, uh, for us, were things really well? Again, kind of a long story. Uh, I forgot what year it was. It must have been ninety-seven or ninety-eight. Uh, we saw MXPX at Cornerstone, and they had played like the midnight show. And I remember I was with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and uh, we had a bunch of demos, you know, in a backpack I was carrying around, and just 
them out to people and and i don't know why bands always want to give demos to other bands because like <laughs> yeah. we did that a lot you know but people did that when we were touring and stuff too and it's like i don't know what you want me to do with this you know but um my wife wanted to give one of our demos to yuri and i was just totally embarrassed i was like no 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 we can't do this you know whatever but the most random thing is we saw mxpx play like I don't know how much longer. I feel like a year later in Milwaukee and we were talking to them after the show. And when we told them the, na- the name of our band, Mark was like, hold on one second. He went back on the bus. He came out and he was playing our demo in his like Walkman or whatever at the time. Oh, wow. I love this stuff. And so there was, a, there was that. And, and actually, I don't know if you knew that they had a record label, rocket city records. I think it was, um, mxpx did or or i don't know if it was mike's label or mxp oh, rock city yeah rock city yeah. And, and so they were kind of interested in us and we had just played the the new band showcase stage at cornerstone and so there were some other labels that there was some buzz coming and that's when uh tooth and nail kind of came in and had showed their interest at the time too so it all kind of came together right after we graduated high school yeah and so you guys just kind of went for it when they showed some interest or like how did that all come together I think I'm still going for it. <laughs> no, I, I think, I think, I mean, uh, at that time you're, you're what you're, we're 18, right? You're 18. We're yeah. like, we're like, we, we go to see, you know, I'm just, I remember going to see MXPX in Chicago with like six feet, six feet under six feet deep. Is that what they're called? Six feet deep and, and bride <laughs> and bride. And like, it was my first like actual real, this is this is like early hangnail. This was like ninety six or seven. I don't know when it was, but yeah. I just remember like going there and there and there was a pit and everything, and I was in, in the front row, and it was just my concert. My first concert before that, my big uh, first big concert was Van Halen, so it was in an in a, in a arena like setting, you know. So when I went to this show, I was like, man, this is amazing! Like these guys. Like this is what I want to do, you know. So I think from that, for me, from that point on, it was like, well, we can we can make this happen. Let's let's go for it. You know, we're eighteen years old. Who cares, right? So that's kind of was that was my thought behind that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think once we really started getting some interest from labels, um, I think all of, I think all of our intentions were to like go to college and you know kind of do the normal thing after after high school. But I think after we started getting interest from labels that summer after graduating, it it kind of planted the seed in all of us. Is like, oh, maybe we can actually do this and and do this for a while and and make a run at it. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that's if at least for me, that's kind of when it was like, oh, okay, well, we're if we're gonna do this, let's you know, let's do it now. Um, yeah. So with, with the signing with Tooth and Nail, like you guys. Were, were all the albums actually on uh, on BEC, or were, did any of them come out on Tooth & Nail? Nick and I were just talking about this. Um, yeah. I don't even think I knew what BEC was at the time. All I knew was that Brandon Ebel had left a, a voice message on my answering machine at college, and my heart was, like, pounding through my chest. And uh, I think, actually, BEC was just launching at that time. And I don't know who their first artist was, but we were one of their first artists. We had to have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I was curious with that because yeah, and then there was Project Eighty Six and the Dingies and and uh, yeah, I don't really know why that you know they put some punk bands on Tooth and Nail and some on that. So I was just I was curious as if there was any explanation with that or it sounds like it was just kind of their choice. 
Honestly, we don't really know why either. That's a really good question. Um, I think BEC was the division of their label that was going to be more focused towards the Christian market. And so maybe okay. they saw more of that in our band than other bands or something and thought that there was an opportunity there. But actually with our second release, Facing Changes, um, that was co-released on BEC and Tooth and & Nail. And then our final release was uh, Transparent was just on Tooth and & Nail. Okay. And I don't know all the behind the scenes of why, and I guess it didn't really totally matter to us because we were still getting the same distribution and all that as far as I knew. But Yeah. Was there any disappointment about not having that Tooth and Nail logo on that first CD? I think so. A little bit. For me, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I would imagine, you know, that's, you know, you're getting signed to Tooth and Nail, this dream label, and it's like, oh, we're actually, you know, signing you to this imprint, and it's like, you know, even if it's the same thing, same distribution and all that, like, I don't, at least for me, like, that label was, was so much back then, right? And, I mean, I still listen to, you know, bands like you guys and that were on there because it was still associated and, and you know, the bands look cool and sounded awesome. So it's not like it, like, hindered people from listening. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting that they just kind of shifted those wherever. And what also interesting because the Dingies, well, and that Project 86 record weren't, like, overly spiritual or whatever so that's that's a unique perspective of what they were trying to cater to but anyways it's kind of here I could, or there i could be totally wrong on that but <laughs> <laughs> well, i think especially later on that's the kind of direction that they went but anyways so 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 you guys sign is there you know like a stipulation like okay we want you to tour this much or Kind of what happens after you get signed, like you go to, to record the first album? Yeah. It's actually, yeah. It's, yeah, it's actually strange. We actually recorded the first album before we got the record deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and I don't remember exactly how it all happened, but I think we had a full-length release, and, and uh, we were going to do it on our own. So we did it at a local studio here in town. Um, and... Um, and then, you know, when, when we signed the record deal, it was, it was all finished at that point, other than, I think, mastering. Okay. So they just, like, kind of bought it off you guys or something? Or how does that work if you already have it done? Yeah, they gave us money uh, basically to pay for our expenses on recording it and then some money to buy a, a vehicle so we could travel in a trailer and, and whatnot. And, uh, and we were off. So I think that was our – that would have been my f- – sophomore year fall of my sophomore year when this all transpired somewhere around there or summer fall in, fall in 99 yeah yeah and then uh, and right in 2000 um we started touring and we toured hard for three years oh wow and what was that like kind of on you guys that you wanted to tour that much or was that like they wanted you because I've, I've i'm kind of learning as i talked with more bands in the label that Lots was like, oh, we just like we would tour for like six months, and then we start writing the next record. And you know, in my mind, I just assumed tooth and nail bands were just like touring all the time. But you know, I'm just going off of what I used to see in magazines back in high school and whatever. And so, that's yeah. I'm always curious to kind of hear, you know, how that all plays out. Was it just each band kind of figuring out? I mean, tour as much as you want or whatever. I don't. I don't think they ever demanded that we toured, but I think we wanted to. I mean, we were. 19, 20 years old, you know, getting to do what we wanted to do, what we've been wanting to do for years. And so who wouldn't want to tour a lot? And if you want to make money and you want to be successful, you got to work hard too. So I think we knew that. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, good for you guys for for having an album that you know sounds that good that they were willing to, you know, take it on. And I, I I can still remember where I was, you know, when I first heard that CD. So I grew up in a really small town. We didn't have a music store there. So whenever we went to visit relatives, you know, three four hours away in a bigger city, I'd, I'd get a you know a new CD or whatever. And and I got that one, and I can still picture just where I was sitting at my uncle and aunt's, and my had my disc man, and uh, and just uh, yeah just loving it. One thing that, that really stands out about that album and like, I, I love CD artwork. It's always something that stands out to me. And uh, I don't know if there's any story behind the CD art of that. Cause a lot of the bands that, that tooth and nail was signing then, you know, kind of had like a classic looking album cover. And that one was like just a band picture on the front. Right. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's, who's is, like, whose idea was it to do that? And I, I thought that was really cool. Like it kind of stood out. It was like, because that's another thing I'm kind of nerdy about is if I get a CD that doesn't have a band picture in it, I'm annoyed by it just because I like that. And so I was like, Oh, they got it right on the front. Like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So there's a graphic designer. Uh, his name is Tim Chiapetta who was just kind of a fan of the music scene and liked our music. And uh, he's an excellent designer, but he, he did his stuff pro bono for us. And actually he did all the artwork for all of our previous releases that we did. Um, so he kind of put it together. He would always, you know, kind of come up with mock-ups and stuff and show us and we liked it and went with it. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that was a big, th- like often I would just listen to a band just by the way they look too. So you guys must've looked cool to, to me as a high school kid. And so, yeah, that's, that's awesome. What do you guys remember what the response was to that album? Um, cause you guys definitely, I mean, you fit in with the tooth and nail, you know, punk bands, but you also had, you know, a unique sound to you. You know, you're a bit more kind of guitar riffy, and um, I don't, I don't know if that's the the bride influence coming in there or what. But <laughs> <laughs> there is no bride influence in our music. No, no, no. Oh, come on. <laughs> but I would say, I don't know, Nick, if you want to speak to it. I mean, that guitar stuff mostly comes from Nick, and he had a lot of influences uh, that were probably impactful to him growing up. Yeah. What was the response to this album? Like you guys, you're touring hard. How are people, you know, responding to it? Or is it just kind of, you know, shows kind of blend into each other? And I, I think it was hit or miss. Um, you'd show up at one place and there'd be 20, 30 people there. And then you show up at the next place, you know, five hours down the road and you got 200 people there. So I thought the response was exciting and great. And, and for me personally, like crowd size and whatnot didn't really matter that much to me. If there was people there that came because they knew your music and wanted to see you play, uh, that was enough. It was one or two yeah. people to put on a show for them. Yeah. And we did sometimes. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I feel like almost all of our shows, we always tried to play the same. Like we didn't, you know, take it back a notch because there was 10 people there. Because we played a lot of shows for 10 people in small towns mm-hmm. across the U.S. Or big shows. No matter what it was, we were trying to give it our all and, and put a good show out there. Yeah. 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 And I think one of the things, too, that we learned is, like, I would have never imagined some of the places, like, when you get signed to a record label, that you would be playing across the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it literally spanned the gamut from, like, you know, places like that outside that used to be, like, 
old like uh you know trash compacting places yeah like to like you know bars and restaurants in fort lauderdale to people's basements in grafton north dakota and yeah yeah, i mean you know it it was it was kind of really it was really eye-opening and in a good way uh but but nothing that i would have thought it would have been like when we signed the deal you know (laughs) like you can't you can't even imagine you couldn't even imagine what it was so Yeah, you're talking about a H's seller in Grafton. Oh, yeah. Yes. H's, yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. We there was. I mean, that's like pretty close to the Canadian border. Like it's still a ways from 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 where I was, but um, yeah, yeah, I went down there for a few shows and yeah, uh, there was a was lot awesome down from Winnipeg down there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I was gonna say just another kind of thing. I had, you know, growing up and I would see, you know, tooth and nail bands in magazines. Like I just assumed every tooth and nail band was huge. And so, you know, now as I'm talking with more bands and uh, um, I mean, I played in a band myself for years and it's like, okay, just because you're signed doesn't really mean, I mean, it means something, but not what what you think it's going to mean. And uh, yeah, so I just, I, I love that, you know, just, but bands, you know, because we're passionate about playing music, we just go for it and, and and it's a dream to get to to take your music, you know, across maybe not across the world, but you know, across the United States or or whatever. So, but uh, yeah, so let's let's move into uh, facing changes a bit. So you guys, you know, you've put out the self-titled record. You're touring hard. Um, like how do, how does facing changes come together? You know, the songs coming together well. You're writing on the road. Um, I feel like so this album's not actually on Spotify, or at least I couldn't find it there. Um, I do have the CD somewhere, but I wasn't able to kind of listen through it fully this week. But I do remember thinking like it kind of had a bit of a shift in sound. Um, I don't know if it was kind of like less riffy, maybe a bit more rock driven. Um, I'd kind of love to hear kind of what went into those songs in that time. It it actually is on Spotify, I'm pretty sure. So maybe you just weren't able to find it. But... Oh, well, like I looked up Hangnail and it didn't have, like it had a transparent and the self-titled one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, we'll have to look again. Sometimes they're under like a different label mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. So with Facing Changes, we got the opportunity to record at the Blasting Room uh, with Bill Stevenson and Stefan Edgerton. And obviously for a lot of guys in our genre of music, that's kind of like a fantasy come to life type yeah. of thing. Um, and I think just if you look at the... So so one thing I think with our first album was, was kind of self-produced. Um, it was pretty raw sounding. And I think the guitars were kind of way out there in front. And so you heard a lot of those riffs and stuff. Um, I think some of those riffs are on facing changes as well, but it's just a little more subtle, maybe not as many like full on just lead like guitar parts, but a lot more subtle riffs, but just the whole tenor of that record for whatever reason. And obviously we loved working at the blastering when we went there for our next record as well. Uh, just had a different vibe to it. Uh, and so I, I think that's part of why people had that perception that maybe it wasn't as guitar driven to me. I, I, I guess I didn't see that. If you were to see us play those songs live, I think they would feel like they had just as much energy and guitar action as, as some of the stuff on the first record. That's my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me uh, playing the facing changes, I think my mo- my favorite memories of on tour and playing shows was during the faces cha- facing changes thing. Cause I think I was, the, and, and I don't, it's not that I wasn't proud of the other albums, but because, you know, we're kind of growing as our, you know, our following and, and kind of growing as a band and, 
you know, um, I think, I think of kind of where we were at in our careers and like as a band and stuff that was like, um, kind of all came together at the right time. And, and the songs were, the songs were pretty good. You know, they, they translated live really well. Um, you know, we had fun playing them. Um, there was a really good response on the road. You know, um, we got to play with some bigger acts kind of on after we recorded that album and, and toured with some bigger acts. So it was, um, it was good. That, that's some of my favorite memories from tour for sure. And I would say in some ways we probably used Nick as a crutch early on. It was like, okay, we're going to make a song. We're going to do verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge. Nick, just do a really cool guitar solo. So everybody loves it. And then back to right. the chorus. You know, hey man, I just I just wanted to beat Jackson from from Slick Shoes. That's all I wanted to do. You know? Well, you're there, Nick. I'd say some of your guitar riffs and your solos really put it out there. You impress a lot of people. I, I do think the 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 overall songwriting, in my opinion, again, everybody's subject to their own, was a more mature style. I think on facing changes, but like I said, for whatever reason, on that recording on that album, I don't think it translated well. Uh, to the recording mm. what were you finding was was influencing your writing you know you when you're touring a lot you know you're gaining experience you know you're playing the same songs night after night and so going into this album did you have thoughts of like we should do this differently or we should write you know this kind of a song or how do you how do you guys as a band kind of form those thoughts when you're when you're trying to piece together a new album i think at that time and i don't know if this was more with facing changes or transparent but I remember Color and the Shape had just come out by Foo Fighters. And for me, at least, and I think for most of us, that was a pretty influential record. I think we wanted to sound like that, but we couldn't sound like that because that's just not who we were. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of the ways we would write songs would usually just be jamming or, you know, Nick comes up with a riff or I have some kind of chord progression or melody idea in my head. And we kind of just get together and make it happen. So... I don't think we were ever necessarily chasing after a style, but I think, I think we were listening to bands like Foo Fighters and also we were listening to, you know, some of the punk bands and stuff uh, back in the day, but like even bands like Saves the Day and stuff like that, which were kind of like that coming out of punk, you know, post-punk, if you want to say, whatever. Yeah. Genre. Um, and so I think we were starting to incorporate some of the maybe darker sounds into our music and some more dissonant progressions and things like that. I will say that Face to Face live album, I think, played a big influence on us. I agree. Yeah. We listen to that album a lot. Yeah, uh, that's an awesome one. Well, and, their, and their newer live one's really good, too. That Do you remember was... what uh, um, Tooth and Nail's reaction was to that album? Like, was there much kind of interaction with them? Like, did you have an A&R guy that was kind of, you know, bouncing ideas off? And um, I always love kind of hearing, you know, those those kind of reactions, too, and you know, did they have much thoughts or were they busy with other bands? Well, if so, with Facing Changes, we also put out this acoustic EP, which I don't yeah, know. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, yeah, touch on that as well. Uh, that was kind of released as a double disc set and then also on its own. Like it came free with the first how many ever copies or, or whatever. And I, I do remember talking on the phone with Brandon and he had it on in the background and he's like, oh, this is awesome. He loved the acoustic stuff. Um, so again, I don't know what was going on in his mind. But uh, they seem to be into it, I think, as far as I knew. But, uh, hard to say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really liked that acoustic album. Like, I mean, at that point, I wasn't really listening to much acoustic stuff because I just wanted fast punk. But, I mean, yeah, the guitar playing is so good mm -hmm. on that. And, 
And uh, yeah, I thought that was a cool compliment. I, uh, my CD does is one with the double, and so I definitely, definitely had that one. So that was that was sweet. Did you guys play any of those like at shows, or was that more just kind of for the fans? I think it was more just for the fun of it. You know, when we were in the studio recording, basing changes, we'd all hear little parts in our head. Oh, it'd be cool to hear a cello here or or this. You know, in this part, and then eventually, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, we got some. You know, other musicians, local musicians that you know we're friends with, and we were able to put something together, and, and it was it was just more for the fun of it, I think. Mm-hmm. And we had, I think, what kind of opened our eyes to that we could do that. There was this uh, radio station in town, which actually had a pretty wide broadcast range, um, which they would do these unplugged sets with bands, and uh, so that they it kind of forced us to do something acoustic, and we did it, and it sounded pretty cool. Um, and then we did a couple acoustic shows. We did one at a bookstore. We did another one at our home church at the time. Um, and I think with a lot of our different musical upbringings and including some of the classical influences and stuff like that, uh, it was just a way for us to kind of, uh, make music that was outside of just the punk genre. Uh, it was kind of fun to translate our songs to that. And a random story I have to share. So, yeah. uh, one of the, fun tours that we had was we did play with uh, further seems forever for a while. And uh, at that time, Chris Caraba was singing with the band, but right after that tour, I think was when he left the band. I don't even, did that even happen midway through the tour or something? I don't, it was like right after like the week after we stopped, I think, or they left the tour. Yeah. Cause I know we played with them with both singers, yeah. but um, <clears throat> anyways, he started dashboard confessional up. And he had called me up and he said, hey, can you get me a show in Kenosha? I mean, he was nothing at the time. And I was like, sure. Yeah. So I organized this like show at this real small bar in town. He Starlight played, Club. Yeah, he, he played for like 20 people, you know. Yeah. And that night we were talking till real late at night. And he was like, because we had just put out the acoustic album too. He's like, you guys need to do a tour uh, where, you know, we'll do an all acoustic tour and you guys can headline and I'll open for you. <laughs> this is dashboard confessional. Yeah. And, crazy uh, to think about that now. Literally, literally yeah. a month later, he was selling out the house of blues in Chicago, like back to back nights. Like he yeah. blew up so fast. Um, and then like many, many, many years later, I went to go see U two at the United center in Chicago and, and there was dashboard opening up for U two. And I'm just like standing out in the crowd. I'm like, Dude, like we stayed up late at night talking about how you wanted to open for us. <laughs> so you were knocking on his door and saying like, all right, time to uh, cash that favor in. Yeah. <laughs> Never was really one to be like that. But. Yeah. With, well, also, with, also their, their van broke down. Didn't we give them a ride too? They all jumped in our van or something happened, right? Probably. I don't remember. Yeah. Well, I remember him rolling up to the Starlight Club in like a Toyota station wagon and he had like a Fender amp and his guitar and there was like some guy that was with him and that was it, like nothing else. Like he was driving around the country, sleeping in his car, like touring. Yeah. Is that a, is that a guy that any of you guys have been in touch with over the years? Not at all. That was the last I ever talked to him was when he played in Kenosha. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting how many of those kind of connections, you know, from back then, you know, that the things just kind of shifted in the music scene and all of a sudden it's like your peer is now this crazy kind of rock star guy and you know but he probably probably still like thinks of you guys here and there or 
you know, I, puts on that acoustic CD or, you know, who knows, right? I highly doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what were some of the other kind of standout tours from this time? Like, what were you guys headlining or were you doing more kind of support tours? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think one of the bigger ones we did was with Brody Hook and Stay Saker. That one was um, a lot of fun. And that was, that was a lot of fun, yeah. I mean, I think, and watching other bands and stuff, I think when, when you watch Stave Saker live um, and, like, the maturity and the showmanship that they had as a band was just, like, way and above anything, in, like, in our genre. Like, mm-hmm. like we, we all sit together, like, in the corner of the, the club and be like, oh, we watched the whole show every night on every on every every tour day like there was never a, a time where we're like none of us were watching the show like it was that good yeah and, and that was like you know a month and a half long or something like that and we you know we'd watch every song of every night of every set mm-hmm. um so that was that was really cool and they were cool guys which we all you know and and i think some of us still keep in touch with some of them um and then you know and goatee hook the guys are super fun and, and you know they were a great band too so it was uh it was a pretty memorable tour yeah. Side note with Steve Sicker, what, what did you guys think of that Outer Circle uh, punk record that uh, Tooth Nail put out with Mark Solomon? You know, I don't. I've heard it. I don't. I didn't hear it a lot. Uh, the style of the music wasn't really my cup of tea, from what I recall. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like super melodic. It was definitely more kind of like he was singing, but it was more towards the kind of hardcore punk style. But anyways, I just I, I was never a huge Steve Sicker fan. It was always a bit kind of slow for me, but. I really did like that Outer Circle record. That was that was a cool project. But uh, yeah, well, let's let's move on to uh, to Transparent. So this was a really cool album. I actually just recently listened through it and was just reminded how good it is. You know, there's a lot of great guitar work and vocal melodies on this album. The songs are put together really well, and I, it was just a really enjoyable listen overall. Um, what what do you guys? What kind of thoughts do you have on this album? You know. This this album kind of saw you know the end of the band. Did those things kind of coincide? Like, did you know when you guys were putting out this album that, that this would be it? Yeah. So for me, uh, unfor- I think Transparent's by far our best work of music, and it's probably the least known, the least heard. Um, and we recorded it in two chunks, and I forgot why that was exactly, but we recorded all of the the music in one chunk and that was like i feel like in the summer maybe of 2002 and then september maybe okay and then then september and then you guys went back at like christmas time yeah back out in around december to finish up the vocals and mixing and stuff like that um and i think between that time period was kind of like i don't think we really knew when we first recorded the first half that the band was going to be over but i think we did know it by the time we recorded the vocals and so, um, and, and I'll just say for me, I was kind of, I'm a procrastinator when it comes to lyrics because for one, I don't think I'm the greatest at them. And for two, I'm, I'm really picky about them and I'm never happy with them. And, and with facing changes and with transparent, like when we got to the studio, I literally probably only had half the lyrics for the songs. <laughs> so oftentimes I'd be up the night before, like coming up with lyrics and scrambling, you know, cause I got to record it the next day kind of thing. But um, so actually one of the songs on that album is titled In Conclusion. And that song is kind of knowing that the band's coming to an end, you know, and just kind of expressing that. And so, yeah. So to answer your question, uh, we did know that things were kind of coming to an end at that point in time, which is too bad because we we only played 
one show after that album was released. That was our last show at Cornerstone, uh, oh, summer yeah. of 2003. Got to play a couple songs, which the funny thing was, when I was doing vocals for that, I knew we would never have to play those songs live. So there was things that either I was singing or the backup, backup vocals, I knew we'd never be able to pull off yeah. <laughs> while playing. And so uh, it was interesting trying to, to put a couple songs. I think yeah. we did three songs in our last show from that record. It was like, oh man, these songs aren't as easy to play. <laughs> I remember thinking after that Cornerstone show, Mike, I was like, why did he make that harmony, that weird interval that's so impossible to hit? Because <laughs> you could. Didn't matter. Right, because right, you could in the studio. We, it was like, oh, I'm never going to have to sing this live, so it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, that, yeah it's kind of crazy going into, into a record, kind of knowing it's your last. Did that change, you know, like maybe what you wanted to say on it or was it just, you know, we're going to go into it and just, you know, whatever kind of comes out, comes out, not going to kind of think too hard on it. Yeah, no, I think that was a small part of it. I think it was still being true to who we were for sure. I think, but though I, for sure, I know that because the label knew we were done at that point in time too. And they, you know, had just invested a decent amount of money into that record. And so I think they kind of just shut down promoting it and all kind of marketing and stuff. Cause there really wasn't a point cause the band wasn't going to exist anymore. And I think that's really why that record really never, uh, got to be heard as much as it could have been. And also cause we didn't tour on it. I mean, cause that, that's very important, you know, to be able to tour on an album and build excitement yeah. that way. And what, what brought the, the end to the band? Like why, why was that time the time to be done? Is this me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, you know, if you think about it, we, we were together as a band since eighth grade, you know, so for almost 10 years at that point in time. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, we were like brothers, which we still are today. And so uh, we were very close, but there was also times where there could be interpersonal conflict and stuff. And, and in some ways we were moving in different directions with maybe our life path, uh, maybe even musical preferences and stuff like that. And so I think things kind of came to an impasse where it was just like, you know, we even talked about this the other night. I think we all have a different perspective of why things ended. Um, some people felt like it was just time to be done. Uh, others wanted to keep going, but it just wasn't to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, lots, lots of changes. And I mean, I've heard that with lots of bands, right? You start when, you know, you're young, you don't really know anything. You're just, you know, the world is open and you just kind of go for it. And then, you kind of realize like, man, this costs a lot of money. This takes a lot of time. This, you know, burns out relationships and, you know, a whole, a whole bunch of different things. And, and so, I mean, it sucks to see cool bands come to an end, but I mean, you know, everything can only last for so long and you don't want to you know, drive it into the ground. It's better to kind of end where you know, mm-hmm. things are hopefully still, you know, good and, and relationships aren't broken and that kind of thing. So right. and, I, I will say, you know, we all live, you know, within, a half hour of each other we do talk often and we've been good friends ever since we've been eight nine ten years old um just because we haven't played together in a long time doesn't mean anything really changed in that aspect um, yeah but you know when you're when you're touring for three years and you see all your peers are going to college and starting careers and doing all these other things getting married and starting families and you kind of think in your head you know should we maybe be doing those things too? What if the band doesn't work out? You know, we kind of need also need to have a backup plan here. So we were going to college and trying to do those things to have a backup plan. 
Yeah, and, like when the band think, when the band stopped, we were we were still what were twenty twenty two twenty twenty three. So we were still pretty young, you know. Yeah, and and also, I mean, we were touring with bands with some bands that have been touring for a long time, and they were still in that same place. You know what I mean? It was like they never really broke through and were, were making a, like a really, you know, like a decent living at it. And, you know, they were, they were still touring in a van and they were still, you know, playing shows for a couple hundred people every night all, all over the United States. And that was their full-time gig. And, and I think for some of us, um, you know, um, and I don't know if it's just cause, uh, you know, how we were raised or, you know, kind of a Midwest thing. We like, some of us had uh, different ideas as far as careers or backup plans and stuff that we didn't maybe want to leave on the back burner too long and yeah. kind of continue down that path of, of maybe, maybe this doesn't get any better than it does right now. Right. And at that point, like, were you content with what you had done or did you feel, you know, was there still a part of like, Oh, maybe there's, you know, one more album or one more tour left or was it just, you know, felt good to just call it quits when it did. I mean, I don't think it felt good. To, maybe uh, to me anyways, it didn't feel good. I mean, cause like, like Mike said, we were all brothers. I mean, that was our life for three and a half years and um, not being able to do that. I mean, that's like a big part of you that goes missing. It, it's, it's almost akin to like, you know, having a super serious relationship and then breaking up and then not being able to see that person for a long, you know, forever. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's that, it's that hard on probable on you. Um, but you know, you get over it and you, and you, you, you become, you're still good friends. So you can see each other. And I think all of us were happy for Nick and, and, you know, his aspirations and going and, you know, playing for Ace Troubleshooter and then going on to play with acceptance and stuff. So we were happy that he was, you know, kind of living his dream. So. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I just want to briefly touch on, on the live record that you guys put out a handful of years ago. What's uh, so that was recorded in 2002. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. So what, what brought that on to release that so many years later? And it, it sounds good too, for, for being, you know, almost 20 years old. Yeah. I don't remember really what the motivation behind that was. Um, other than that, we were kind of into recording stuff at the time and it was like a lot yeah. of bands had live records is like, why wouldn't we do a live record? And I think to an extent too, it was like, uh, I don't feel maybe until transparent that, any of our records had really captured who we were as a live band. So I think that if somebody were to go listen to that live record, they'd maybe get a better picture of what Hangnail was all about uh, in some ways than listening to some of our studio records. Um, and again, I think we recorded that early December of 2002. So this was right in the middle of all this stuff kind of happening and the band was breaking up. And I don't know if we even knew for sure at the time when we recorded that, 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 that was going to happen or not. But um again, we put it together. We wanted to pitch it to the label and say, Hey, here's a live record. You know, you want to put it out, but they really had no reason to do that, to put any money behind that. And so mm -hmm. they kind of said no, and it just kind of sat flat. But then years later, you know, many years later, uh, oh. 16, it was like, Hey, we still got this live record. You know, I've showed it to people who are fans before and they loved it. Just want it to be available to people that might get something out of it, might get some enjoyment. Yeah of it and so finally through a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls we got permission that we could put it out for free uh so it, it is still available for free on Bandcamp. uh thanks to brandon from indivision music uh for helping yeah. promote that and uh 
So it's sitting there still. So if you haven't heard that, I'd say I'd, I'd recommend people go check that out if you're a fan of the band. Yeah, it's awesome. I actually, I still put songs from that CD, like on mix CDs, because I still like making mix CDs for my van. And uh, yeah, there's just, there's a great energy about it. And um, yeah, that's awesome that you had that opportunity to, to share that. That's crazy that it sat there for so long. That would just drive me crazy having <laughs> projects sitting there for years and years. I guess you just kind of forget about it and, you know, leave it there until you have an opportunity. So but uh, yeah, well, one of the reasons why we wanted to to record this interview um, now is because you guys have some exciting news, and uh, so why don't you uh, share what that is and and what's going on and kind of you know this little bit of resurgence with the band. Yeah, so uh, um, it's actually a, a short Christmas project called Christmas Hymns, um, and where this kind of came about was uh, for people who don't know, I'm a music pastor at a church. And so Christmas is one of my favorite times of year, just period. I've always loved Christmas, but I, I love Christmas music. I think you had said, Aaron, you're not a fan of Christmas music. And that's cool too. I know a lot of musicians who don't like Christmas music. Um, but uh, oftentimes I find myself rearranging Christmas songs. And oftentimes I'm digging through the hymnal because I don't know, I don't like a lot of the new uh, Christian worship stuff. It just all sounds the same. It's kind of boring, but I do like digging into the past and seeing some of these really thought provoking lyrics that's that writers put together from years and years ago, and even some of the melodies and chord progressions that they came up with. And so a couple of the songs are well-known songs. Uh, oh, come all you faithful. Oh, holy night. Um, but uh, one small child. And uh, I wonder as I wander are two Christmas songs that I think many people probably don't know but have really cool words, uh, cool melodies. And uh, anyway, so as I was arranging these songs for the church, I kind of was like, I wonder what these would sound like if Hangnail were to do these songs. And this started probably two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I kind of just recorded some stuff, acoustic guitar and vocal, sent it to the guys. And uh, it really didn't go anywhere. We had like one practice uh, without Nick, because he's a busy guy, um, where we kind of jammed on a couple of these songs. And uh, really what needed to happen was Nick needed to be able to find some time and some desire to record these things. And finally this year, he was like, let's do it. So, uh, so we, Nick and I basically, what it was, one day, we pretty much laid all these, you know, built the tracks and put everything down. And then kind of all of us contributed stuff later. But um, yeah, so here we are, the Christmas Hymns Project. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, by the time you're you're hearing this interview, the album will be out, and hopefully you've heard it or we'll be checking it out soon. Yeah, I will say that you know I don't get overly excited about Christmas music, but when you guys said you were releasing something, like I was definitely intrigued. You know, there's there's a select few you know Christmas projects. You know, like Bad Religion put out a Christmas album a few years ago. That's pretty cool. And um, yeah, like Christmas music kind of goes two ways for me. You know, it's either like I just don't like it at all, or I do like it. And I will say with this, like you guys have won me over, you know, like this is, this is definitely going to be my, my Christmas soundtrack. And I, I wish it was longer, you know, four songs goes by fast. Um, but I genuinely really enjoyed the songs. They're really upbeat and melodic and catchy. You know, there's, there's really cool um, like dueling guitar parts on it and vocal melodies and harmonies. And I think you guys did, uh, did a really good job with it. Um, so with like, so are just you a fan of, of Christmas music or all of you guys, or of course some of you like, ah, I don't know if I can do Christmas music or was it just kind of a fun project to put together regardless? 
I enjoy the Christmas music. I think it's fun to listen to. I got guys at work that listen to it 12 hours a day. I think you can get old after a little while, but yeah. you know, the way that, that these songs are arranged and the way they're done, I think, I think they're more entertaining to listen to. It's not Jingle Bells or Frosty the Snowman. It's, you know, a little more mature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes when a, when a band comes back, you know, they don't always sound how, how you'd hoped. Um, but this, yeah, like I said, this is classic Hangnail songs. And um, you, guys, you guys picked really good songs. You know, another kind of bad cliche with Christmas songs is bands just kind of cover, you know, like the typical ones and, and I'm really glad that you guys didn't do that. Um, you know, like said, there's there's a few familiar ones and a few that aren't so familiar. And uh, so, how did you kind of go into to choosing what songs? You know, when there's only four, how do you know which? How did you kind of go about choosing which were going to be the ones that made it? Uh, I literally sat down with a hymnal, paging through page by page with an acoustic guitar and singing it, saying, "Can this be a cool punk rock Christmas song?" <laughs> And I think there's probably at least four other ones that didn't make the cut, but I think still could be kind of cool, but we really just didn't have the the time to, to do all those songs. But uh, yeah, that was how. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, and I, I will clarify and saying I don't like Christmas music. I really don't like like commercial Christmas, Christmas music. You know, I do like kind of the classic ones. You know, one aspect I love about you know, the songs you picked and some of those older ones is they kind of have this really cool kind of somber and melancholy feeling to it. And, you know, maybe they're more songs in kind of a minor key. Uh, but, you know, in saying that, you guys added a lot of really cool melodic elements to the songs. And I just think you did a really great job. And so that's, that's, that's really cool. How did it come to, like, to put it on tooth and nail? Like, they were cool, you know, just sending again, someone saying, hey, this is done if you want to put it out. Like, you know, it's just a fun project. There's not, you know... There's no contracts or all this kind of back and forth. How did that come about? Well, I uh, I mix a lot of songs. Well, not a lot of songs, but I, just, I mix some songs for uh, BEC Tooth and Nail. Um, so um, I just, uh, for this, I think we just, we had, well, we were going to do it, we were going to put it out ourselves. And, and so we had like one song kind of almost done. And I just, I just decided to shoot it over to my, to my guy over at Tooth and Nail. And I said, I just said, hey, you. I'm, I'm assuming you have no interest in touching this record. And I sent him the, what, the first song. And then he came back and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, w we can do this. You know, so they, they, just, they were into it. So it was just one email that I shot, that I shot out and, and they were into it, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, if you still have that connection. And, and what's so nice now, like with streaming, you know, it's not like they need to, you know, print thousands of CDs and distribute it and try and sell it. You know, it's just kind of putting their name on it and, and getting it out there so yeah i think a lot of people are going to be really excited about it and was there a reason why it, it hasn't been you know i mean it's, by this time people will know about it but what kind of what's been the process of being like okay we got to get this out by christmas but we haven't announced anything yet what's going on with that well part of it was man when did we start recording this mid-november you know like this whole thing happened so quickly yeah. we probably yeah. should have been recording this a lot earlier so part of that was our fault um the other part is uh the label just hasn't been ready to to announce it yet from a promotion standpoint and so we're just it should be any day hopefully now as we record this podcast and like you said uh it'll already be past the point it's released by then but uh yeah so we're kind of scrambling to get this out there but hopefully it'll get out there in time for christmas and, and help make people's christmas a little bit more fun 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on. Is there any thoughts or talks like has this sparked, you know, interest to to maybe write more hangnail music, or was this just kind of a one-time project and you know life's too busy with other things? Or if if there was a chance for that, what what could or would more hangnail music look like? Like, do you are you still kind of have the same influences and? Would you still want to kind of release something in the punk genre? Like, even if it's just hypothetical speaking, like it, it's always cool just kind of hearing where people are at and, you know, what's, what's inspiring them musically. Mike? Who wants, who wants to go? <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, the answer is we don't know <clears throat> for sure. We have some rough ideas of some songs in the works. Uh, honestly, part of it will be, does anybody care about this new music that we're putting out? You know, if there's some excitement with it, um, we feel like it's, it's worth putting some time into it. We'll probably, you know, do something. Um, obviously it would be difficult to put together a full length album. I mean, we all have young kids, you know, uh, working spouses and, and all that kind of stuff. And so life is just absolutely chaotic and it's hard to even imagine yeah. what it would take to put together a record right now. But, um, but Yeah potentially we're, we're leaving the doors open put it that way yeah right on yeah well even just to release a fun christmas project right you still get to hang out play music and and uh put something else out there so that's that's awesome but we're going to uh to wrap up here but i wanted to to end on just asking you guys you know if there's one thing um you kind of came away with with your time in hangnail like maybe it's one specific memory or um, you know, kind of anything. When you look back at your time in the band, what's what's kind of one thing that really stands out to you? Or if that's mm. too hard, you know, multiple things, or you know, maybe it's the relationships or the music part, or yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was, I was going to say the relationships. You know, I've known these guys longer than I've known anyone except my family, and and we've been through a lot together. You know, bands breaking down and sleeping in some really sketchy places and 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 playing shows in some really crazy places but i i wouldn't change any of it and I, so I, I would say you know just the things i've learned from the other three guys and and hanging out with them all this time i wouldn't take any of that back mm-hmm. and for me it was just the overall experience you know uh when you when you ask the question like you know were we asked to tour more or whatever it's like to be that age and not have a care in the world to jump in a van and just travel the country expenses paid was such an adventure um, in some of the best days of my life, honestly. Um, And so I think we had to kind of grow up fast in a sense too, because, you know, it's not just like, Oh, we're renting an apartment or something now. It's like, no, you know, we joke around like we didn't have like GPS and stuff back then. So we had the big old Atlas map, you know, and you got to like try to figure out where you're going and how you're going to eat and all that kind of stuff, where you're going to sleep. And, you know, a van broken down in the side of the road and luckily Jacob was a mechanic. And so oftentimes, you know, he'd be like ripping parts out of the engine, you know, on the road and just all the fun, crazy experiences, things we probably couldn't even, or should even talk about (laughs) here on the the podcast. Uh, Just, just good fun times. And, uh, I think it kind of built into each of us who we are today, you know, as people, as parents, um, and all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah, it's hard to follow you two guys. Cause you, yeah, you, you, you encapsulated it very well, but, um, 
you know, I think, I think the, just, I think memories and, and not having any regrets, you know, um, I think all, all of us were really blessed to have parents that were um, supportive of us. I think that's one thing too, that probably in the early stages of the band kind of gets looked over as like, um, you know, kind of without them, it wouldn't, it really probably wouldn't have happened the way it did. They were super supportive. And even my parents were probably like, probably the most conservative of the group from a, like, oh, you're never going to be able to make it. You're not going to make any money. We want, you know, you've got to go to college. You've got to get a good job. You've got to do that. And, and they were like, yeah, no, if you're going to do it, do it now. And, and uh, so we were all very blessed to have very supportive parents. I mean, we played in, we practiced in Jacob's basement uh, at his parents' house from when we were 14, 15 years old until the end. I mean, that's where we, I mean, a lot of the songs were written there for all, for all the albums. Um, so I, I think having, having the parents that we did really, really helped along the way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. A good support system in a band is, is huge for sure. Yeah. How about you, Nick? I mean, those guys pretty much uh, summed it up, you know, that's, that's all there. I mean, for me, uh, I mean, too, like I, you know, I've been blessed to, I was on the ride with Hang Mel and I was on a ride with, with acceptance for four years. So I was just kind of like back to back, on the road for like almost seven years of my life. So uh, it's just from what they've, they've just said, it's, it's, it was the same thing with acceptance, you know, relationship. Not even the, I mean, even, even, you know, 23, I was 22, 23 in acceptance up until 26, somewhere near 27, but, and still like, I, you know, I came home from acceptance and lived with my parents for like two years. You know, I was 28, 20, like I was like almost 30 years old. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm thinking about it now, like, you know, thinking about my kid, if my kid wanted to be in a band, you know, and go, yeah. and go, on, and go on tour, I'm like, I'm yeah. just like, what do you think? You know, it's hard. So, so yeah, the parents was a huge, that was a huge thing, man. I, I don't know how they right. accepted us to do that, but it, that's, that's unreal, you know, but um, right. knowing what we know now, I think it would be hard for to maybe encourage our kids to do it as, as much, but at the same time, I would want them to have the experience that we had. Yeah. You know, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Awesome guys. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. This has been so much fun. And I'm sure there's lots of other things we could talk about, but uh, I'm sure we're, we're all tired here and put kids to bed and yeah, appreciate the time and, and excited for you guys having new music out and, I'm going to be rocking that here for the next month or so. And, <laughs> and uh, we'll see if I allow myself to listen to Christmas music past Christmas. But what's, <laughs> what's cool about these songs, especially the, the two, the two middle ones that I wasn't as familiar with. Um, like they're, they're not even necessarily like as Christmassy. So maybe, maybe those two will fly for the rest of the year. And then I'll just put the two other two on just at Christmas. And <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, super excited about that and excited to see it announced and for people to hear it and to check this out and, and to maybe kind of reconnect with your music. So there's lots of really cool stuff in there. So thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank you, Aaron. Cool. Thanks, Aaron.